If you listen to that reading, you'll have a sense that some of this talk will be a slightly different tone. Let's pray. Gracious God, before you, we are only ever fools. Teach us to know your wisdom in its truest form, that we may give thanks and follow you to the end. Amen. I want to begin uh, on a happy note by talking about something that at one point in my life I was quite passionate about, and that is how to store coffee beans. Um, I used to work at a place that sold very good coffee. I worked at Campos Coffee back before they were big, actually kind of before coffee was big in Australia. And I was just kind of on the, I was just on the, on the, on the rise. And uh, the fact is, there is a right way to store coffee. You put it in a cupboard, in a sealed container. Um, if actually Rowan was on the cusp of the coffee uh, boom, I remember when he worked at Kurong Cafe and made some killer coffees. You put it in a cupboard in a sealed container. Uh, if you freeze it, it tastes terrible when you use it because all the oils are frozen. If you put it in the fridge, it soaks up all the smells from the fridge. Right? But to my constant irritation, people would insist that their way was better. Fools. <laughs> Now, who cares about storing coffee, really? I don't anymore. Um, I mention this, though, because what's true of storing coffee beans is also true of many other activities in our lives. There are right and wrong ways, better and worse ways to do things. Think about things like cooking or learning to play a musical instrument. There are right and wrong ways to boil an egg or make an omelette. There are better and worse ways to hold a violin or position your mouth on the mouthpiece of a saxophone. There are right and wrong ways to mould a pot, operate a chainsaw and use Microsoft Excel. Some ways of using these things work and some don't. And in the case of a chainsaw, it's a life and death matter. Now, where things get interesting is that the same is true of not just of certain limited practical skills like these, but of much wider practices of life. There are, it turns out, better and worse ways to conduct different kinds of relationships. Manage employees. Be a husband or a wife. There are better and worse ways to mentor teenagers, to respond to a traumatic experience to determine your diet or care for someone with dementia. Sometimes we get very nervous and stressed out by claims like that. Even me saying that might make you a bit tense. Um, I mean, think about how reactive you or, or people you know can get when they encounter the suggestion that they've been doing something important, like maybe parenting, but they've been doing it wrong. It's not an easy thing to say to somebody. But just because we get tense, we shouldn't dismiss the idea that there are better and worse ways to do these things. There clearly are ways of doing these things that work and ways that don't. We might not know all of what they are, but we do know quite a lot of things, I think. 
We know, for example, that it's a mistake to just let a traumatic experience sit and not get help with it. We know that it's a bad idea for a manager to have a sexual relationship with an employee. We know that parents need to manage their own anxiety about their children. Now, the reason these examples make us nervous is that with them there is a lot at stake. Whether or not you're storing your coffee beans right does not, in the end, matter at all. But whether or not you're dealing with your life, your significant life experiences well or doing your marriage well, that's a big deal. And it's a big deal because these activities are quite simply the substance of our lives. They are the big pieces of the puzzles that are our lives. And so they matter because we want the puzzle to turn out well. We want our lives to go well, and so it matters to us that, especially in the big things, we go the right way rather than the wrong way. That's why, in connection with these things, we sometimes use the language of wisdom. If we thought about caring for small children, for example, or for an elderly person, or leading a team, it might make sense to talk in terms of wisdom. Somebody who really had a grip on, for example, how to do things like this, how to avoid mistakes and keep hold of what, what mattered, how to really lead a team well or how to really kind of uh, look after a certain kind of person well, we might describe that person as wise. Wisdom seems to fit as a description of this kind of know-how of the things that matter. We speak of wisdom, I think, when what we have in mind is a kind of practical knowledge of how to do well the things that matter in life, the things that are important. Well, the opposite of wisdom is folly, foolishness. And we use the language of foolishness or folly more widely if we use it because we use it when what we have in mind are mistakes with serious consequences. When I said before that someone who ignored good advice about storing coffee was a fool, that was a joke, okay? If it's not a joke for you, if you're sitting there going, that is not a joke, <laughs> that, is, that is a big deal, you, uh, you, you probably need to talk to somebody about that. I've, I've, I've grown up out of that and you probably need to too. Uh, and it's a, it's a joke because the consequences are unimportant. But we wouldn't be joking, would we, if we described as foolish someone who was using a chainsaw one-handed while holding the thing they were cutting with the other hand. That's foolish. In the first talk, I introduced you to the book of Proverbs. I've got a nice photo uh, that just kind of sums up some of the themes. Walking in wisdom. I just forgot it in the first talk, so I thought put it in here as a reminder. <laughs> And to the way of thinking about the world we discover in its pages and poems. And what we saw basically is that the things I've just described, the way there are right and wrong ways to do things, even things that really matter in life, and that we talk about in terms of wisdom and foolishness, that is all grounded, according to Proverbs, in the fact that God made this world by wisdom. God created this world through wisdom, in wisdom, forming it rightly and well so that it is a good place to live in, so that there are ways of living open to us that work and that lead to good. And we talked about how all this was a cause for joy and thanksgiving, that God has made a world that doesn't resist our efforts 
to live well, but opens up to us in hospitality. The image, as I pointed out for this in Proverbs, is wisdom calling to us. Does not wisdom call, we read in chapter 8. Does not understanding raise her voice at the highest point along the way where the paths meet. She takes her stand and she calls out to us in welcome. She says, listen to my instruction and be wise. Do not disregard it. Blessed are those who listen to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorways. We talked about how this was an invitation to discovery, to action, to life. It is a gift of God through the good world he has made. Let's lose this photo because now we need to put a break on all this enthusiasm. And the reason for this is, while the book of Proverbs is very upbeat about the kind of world we live in, It is not nearly so upbeat about our ability to live in it. In fact, pretty much the opposite is the case. What we find when we read the book of Proverbs is actually a kind of despair and frustration that even though wisdom is there calling to us, we don't mostly listen. We don't take the good paths that lie there in front of us to be taken. We wander off on our own trails. Think back to what we saw at the beginning of Proverbs, if you're here yesterday morning. In the first proper passage, in Proverbs 1, 1 verses 10 to 19, what we hear is the voice of a mother and father. And what are they saying? They are imploring their teenage son with desperation in their voices For heaven's sake, don't join a violent criminal gang. Now, if you stop and think about it, that speech is pretty troubling. Why is this the first thing we need to hear? Why is this obviously self-destructive choice of joining a violent gang so prominent? And why is there a real sense of desperation in the parent's voice here? What does it say about us that we might need to be told this kind of thing so urgently, so fretfully? Straight away after this, we hear for the first time in Proverbs the voice of wisdom itself, wisdom's first speech. And what we discover is why Proverbs begins the way it does. It's the passage that was just read to us. Look with me again at it now. It's printed in your outlines on page 16. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 20 to 33. Out in the open, wisdom calls aloud. She raises her voice in the public square. On the top of the wall, she cries out. At the city gate, she makes her speech. Here's her speech. How long will you who are simple love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? Repent at my rebuke, then I will pour out my thoughts to you. I will make known to you my teachings. But since you refuse to listen when I call, and no one pays attention when I stretch out my hand, since you disregard all my advice and do not accept my rebuke, I in turn will laugh. I in turn will laugh 
when disaster strikes you. I will mock when calamity overtakes you, when calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster sweeps over you like a whirlwind, when distress and trouble overwhelm you. Then they will call to me, but I will not answer. They will look for me, but will not find me, since they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord. Since they would not accept my advice and spurn my rebuke, they will eat the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes, for the waywardness of the simple will kill them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But everyone who listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. As I said, this is the first speech of wisdom and it is one of deep Frustration. Frustration that people are so foolish that they ignore her call. They don't listen and instead love their own stupid ways, complacently wandering off to self-destruction. Think of my frustration about the coffee beans or imagine your own feeling of frustration when you see someone persisting in doing something the wrong way. And now imagine that feeling being felt about the way you are living your life. You fools, she says. And she seems to be talking about us. It's a pretty harsh judgment. Now, when we hear something like this, we don't tend to like it. I mean, if you do, that'd be interesting, and I'd like to talk about that. I don't tend to like it. Um, It's not a pleasant thought to imagine the deep structure of the universe wringing its hands in frustration at the way you're living your life. We would like to find a way to not see ourselves in this passage, right? The question is, though, can we really avoid this judgment? Well, perhaps in many ways we can. We haven't all made terrible choices at every turn, have we? If you're here looking the way you look, you you haven't stuffed everything up, okay? Um, we've, We've got lots of things right. That's true, I think. And yet, when I raised at the beginning the idea that there might be wise and foolish ways to, say, look after your parents or be a parent, or a spouse, or spend your money, or whatever it was, it it made us nervous. And that's because most of us see that we don't always go the right way. We don't always follow the right paths. Actually, very often we make a mess of things. We speak about learning from our mistakes, and that's fine, But there are always also consequences for our mistakes. And there are some mistakes that are not worth the lessons that we learn from them. In my experience, nowhere is this more obvious than in parenting. You make mistakes. Maybe not big ones, maybe little ones. But they impact your children. And you don't get to go back and do it again. They may not be big mistakes, but they do matter. You know they do. Now, we live in a social and economic context that in many ways softens the the consequences of the mistakes we make. Kids who fall in with a bad lot at school very often find their way out again. 
In the world of Proverbs, like many other parts of the world today, if you fell in with a bad lot, you tended to die a violent death. But for many of us, there are lots of second chances. You make the wrong choices at school, you can still get into university. You make the wrong choices at university, well, you can probably retrain or try something different. You spend years ignoring the health of your body. There are medical solutions. Now, this is mainly something to be thankful for, right? I mean, I'm not going to be ungrateful for all those things. They've been a blessing to me. But we should be careful, I think, before we imagine it puts us in a different category altogether. It may, on the contrary, just change the shape this whole process takes. For all these solutions and second chances, they do have costs. It's never true that there are no costs for our foolishness. They have to be paid for somewhere, somehow, by someone. Perhaps in many ways we merely end up deferring the consequences of our mistakes to later in our lives or to others, perhaps to others who will come after us. Perhaps we export them to others less fortunate than ourselves in other parts of the world. As I have, over the past years, thought about Bangladesh steadily disappearing underwater and of the terrible famines devastating North Africa and now the locust plague, I have found it hard not to feel that Australians have simply been expecting others to pay for their foolishness. But perhaps the fires have brought that back upon us. Whatever we think of all that... The question to ask is, what's true of you? What's true of me? Have I listened to wisdom's call? Or have you failed to pay attention to it properly? It can be useful at this point to think again about some of the Proverbs we find later in the book. We're good at thinking we've done a pretty good job at our lives when we don't look at it very closely. But what about when we're reminded about our speech? A couple of Proverbs on the screen. Who watches his mouth guards his life. Who opens wide his lips ruins himself. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. Or what about anger? A fool gives full vent to anger, but the wise quietly holds it back. The beginning of strife is like letting out water, so stop before the quarrel breaks out. I, um, I, I'm by no means immune to these. I've, I've, reading Proverbs has really challenged me on this. My foolish moment, Emma asked us before. This is some time ago, but it always comes to my mind, partly because you're wearing that cast. I had that same cast on a few years ago uh, because I had a very difficult argument with my sister. And I was so cross that I went away afterwards to another room, thankfully. You know, nobody was around. And I punched a table... And broke my hand. <laughs> Foolish. What about our pride? The crucible for silver and the furnace for gold, but people tested by their praise. What about our love to hear things from other people, or about other people, sorry? The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the inmost parts. What about simply our constancy? Hold on to instruction. Do not let it go. Guard it well, for it is your life. Thanks.
Perhaps these words will speak to you powerfully, these particular ones. Perhaps they won't. I think, though, that in general, one of the things that happens when you read the book of Proverbs and when you read the Proverbs that fill up most of the book is that they come to us in part as a rebuke to our foolishness. For what they confront us with is the ways of wisdom that we didn't take. They are signposts that time and again we have walked past. Not all of them, of course. Some of them will show us paths that we have learned to walk in, and that's a cause for thanksgiving. Others may relate to ways of life that don't make a lot of sense to us anymore. They were, as I said, written over 2,000 years ago. But many of them will still ring true. They will still make sense, and they will remind us that we have, here and there, in important ways, been foolish. And if not these words, then perhaps others If we think of the wise advice we've heard or the things we know to be wise and foolish, how do do we fare? How do you fare? Do I drink too much? Do you look at things you know it's crazy to look at? Do I text when I'm driving? Do you follow the principles you know are sensible about Work-life balance. Am I managing my anxiety or am I ignoring it? Are you working on your marriage or ignoring the cracks that have started appearing? Wisdom is there for us because God made this world to be good. Wisdom calls to us, offering paths that lead to life. Her ways are pleasant ways. All her paths are peace, says Proverbs chapter 3. But tragically, we just don't manage to take those ways consistently enough to make it work. That, by the way, is why Proverbs is, is, is not just a book for young men, young people. Because young people don't learn the lesson the first time they're taught it. And so they, they need to learn it again. We get older, but we don't master the simple lessons. And the world itself cries out in frustration. In the first talk, I referred to uh, the story we read by Italo Calvino to illustrate the idea of wisdom. Um, Most of you know what I'm talking about here. I don't know who's new today. There was a story I referred to, Calvino, The Adventure of a Skier. Just nod if you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, Google it. Do you know, I think in that story we also get a glimpse of the tragedy of our situation. In the story, the main character, the boy in the green goggles, he struggles up the mountain after this graceful girl with great difficulty. You remember the bit? He struggles up the mountain, enticed by the girl's promise that the glacier seems so close it's as if you can touch it, and the white hairs, also the partridges. But what? when he finally gets there, do you remember? He's too late. Did you see it, she says? What is it? It's not there anymore. He's not even told what had been there. He's missed it, and she's set off without him. He's had a momentary glimpse of wisdom, but it has slipped away. And friends, that is just like us. 
We can hear wisdom's call. We can almost touch it, yet somehow it slips away. We can't quite make it our own. We can't quite let it play the music of our life. That's all a bit depressing, isn't it? The reason we've got to face up to this tragedy, though, is that then we will have a chance to hear the good news that comes after it. The good news, of course, is Jesus, you won't be surprised to hear. But in a light that you perhaps haven't noticed him before. Did you notice when we read Proverbs chapter 1 that the heart of wisdom's complaint, the heart of it is that they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord? Well, that is what made Jesus so different. Jesus was the one person who did not refuse to listen to wisdom's call, who did not reject her advice, but accepted it, took it on and kept to her good paths. That's one way, I think, of understanding what made his life so special. He was the truly wise one. You can see it at every turn, I think, in the Gospels. Every time he speaks or doesn't speak. Every time he knows just what to say or to do. In the way he doesn't get angry until he does. And in the way he always sees what's important. In the way he relates to people. He's like someone dancing beautifully through a crowd of awkward stumbling drunks. Never putting a foot out of place. He's like the sky blue girl in Calvino's story. In the chaos of innumerable possible movements. Choosing the only one that was right and clear and light and necessary. The only gesture among an infinity of wasted gestures that counted. When Jesus walks on water in the Gospels, I think we can hear the sound of wisdom filled with delight, rejoicing in God's whole world, delighting in humankind. Don't you think? And yet... Jesus was also not like the wisdom we meet in Proverbs and not like the sky blue girl. And this is the critical thing. Yes, there are times when people drive him crazy, but he never washes his hands of us like wisdom does in Proverbs. Wisdom laughs at our calamity. Jesus doesn't do that. He weeps over us. He doesn't laugh at our mistakes and make us feel like nothing and leave us failed and stranded at the top of the mountain. He doesn't call us fools. He takes pity on us and like a good shepherd goes to find his lost sheep. Even unto death. He died the death that we deserved. The death that was right for fools. He died a death that belonged to the wayward, 
the complacent, those who ignored wisdom and wandered from the path. It was a death that did not belong to him, that did not fit him. And yet he made it his own for us. He, the wise one, became a fool for our sake. Friends, the most important lesson of the book of Proverbs, I think, is not actually to teach us to be wise. It's to point us to the one who, unlike us, was truly perfectly wise. So that we love him. And believe in him. Because of what he has done for us. But finally, here's the great thing. That is also the way back to wisdom. The way back to living wisely in this world. Jesus said that everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. In him, wrote the Apostle Paul, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus gives wisdom back to us. He forgives us our sins and our follies and failures and and invites us to follow him, to make our way back towards the paths from which we have strayed. He gives the Proverbs back to us, no longer just as judgments and reminders of our folly, but as opportunities, openings to growth and to life. Now, of course, we will, doing this in this life, we will only ever be forgiven sinners. Addicts working our way out of our relationship with folly. It will be, frankly, a mess. But that's all right. As Proverbs reminds us, with humility comes wisdom. And so following Jesus, we take up these words again and try to let them shape us, and that's what we're going to try and do in our final talk just a little bit. On our own, we are not wise people. For we do not walk the good paths that lie in front of us. And the words of wisdom we hear, whether in the Proverbs or on the lips of wise people we know, they are just as likely to remind us of our failures as to guide us. But there is someone who calls us to follow him and in so doing gives us back the possibility of living wisely and gives us back to us gives it back to us again and again and again and and that door never is shut with him don't you think that is something worth taking hold of friends and don't you think that is the kind of person you would like to be let's pray Gracious God, we thank you for this world you've made in wisdom. But we thank you much more, much more than that, for the Lord Jesus, wisdom himself. Wisdom come amongst us not just with the beauty and hardness of creation, the power and goodness, but also judgment of the law. But wisdom come amongst us full of grace as well as truth.
Oh, Lord, we thank you that you gave yourself for us. That you loved us fools. Reached out to us in mercy. And gave yourself in our place that we might live. Lord, we want to hold on to that. To embrace it. For that truth to fill us and propel us into life every day. And so we commit ourselves to this love and this faith. In Jesus' name, amen.